episode isn't super explicit, it does contain some historical descriptions of sex and violence. For this week's fact, I'm going to tell you a fact about a library. Ah, okay. Everyone likes a library. Uh, listeners, and you know, I work in a library. Um, so do you know what the world's biggest library is? Is it the one in... Is it, like, is it in Austria? No, it's in America. Okay, then. <laughs> I thought it was like the old house like... library or something. So it's actually the Library of Congress. Okay. Second is the British Library. <laughs> ah, so bad. Everyone in the middle. I was annoyed about, yeah. So the biggest library is Library of Congress. It has 168 million items. Jesus. In... 1814, when it was only 14 years old, there was actually a destruction of all of its 3,000 then items by British troops after they burned the Capitol building, but it has rebounded since then, (laughs) clearly. I feel pride. I feel pride. But my little weird, little weird fact is actually about something they publish. Okay. Have you ever heard this fact before about what they publish? Um, No. Okay, so they're very committed to making all knowledge available to everyone with different abilities. Mm-hmm. And they actually publish popular magazines in Braille. Okay. And in 1985, a senator from Ohio named Chalmers Wiley lobbied to get them to stop publishing a particular magazine in Braille. Yeah. Any guesses of what that magazine might be? Playboy. Playboy. Really? So they actually published Playboy in Braille. Um, it was reinstated after protest and continues to be published <laughs> in Braille. See, to people this do day. buy them for the articles. <laughs> I wonder, like, how they do the pages that are just a full page of like women. Do they do just it like, like nipple bumps? <laughs> Grim. <laughs> so how are you? Not bad. Yeah. Yeah. All good. Yeah. Cold. Yeah, it is getting colder, actually. Yeah, I thought we were so going to escape, like, uh, with another mild winter, but it's... I mean, like, it is mild, like, compared to, like, Germany or something. It's fucking yeah, compared lovely. to, like, Poland. Like summer. <laughs> Russia. <Yeah. laughs> um, it is cold, though. It's going to apparently snow in London tomorrow. Yeah, I believe when I see it. It would just be slush, won't it? Yeah, it would just be grim slush. Like but, the, you know... Like, the weather forecast is, like, rain and snow together, which is just, like, the worst thing in the world. Yeah, that doesn't, it doesn't work. Yeah, it's grim. <laughs> um, How are you? Oh, I'm good. I am very cold because we don't have heating in the house. Oh, boy. Though we are moving to a new flat in January, which is going to have heating. You should make is... like a barrel fire. <laughs> and we do have a barrel fire outside. Do you? But we're not going to bring it in. Yeah, bring it in. You're moving out. Who cares? <laughs> Yes, burn the house down. <laughs> I have sorted all of our laundry into different piles, whites, woolens, regular, and underwear. So Very I'm nice. having a great day. <laughs> yeah, that's productive. Top it is. productive. Have you bought any Christmas presents yet? Nope. I bought myself I bought nearly some. all of them. I bought myself some that my mum my mom can give me. She never knows what to buy yourself? me, so I've just sent some stuff to her house and I was like, yeah, you can give me that. <laughs> that's hilarious. I love that. <laughs> I bought most of mine. Man, um, I mean, I, I just refuse to even think about Christmas until December hits. and then I'll I don't want my December pay to pay for Christmas presents because I need that for the, the move in January. Fair. Fair point. So that's my plan. Yeah. 
Should we get started? Yes, do it. See, it's quite a long one, actually. Okay, so it's trees and months. It's still. trees and months. So <laughs> the verse I picked, I feel, has been like done to death. So I'm not going to be like contributing anything new, and people are going to probably know a lot more than me, and it's probably full of errors. But I don't <laughs> care. I'm going to do it. So originally, I was going to do this person's husband because they haven't been done as much, but there just wasn't as much information, and it just wasn't as fun. And all the fun Fair bits, enough. I can kind of put in this anyway. Okay, cool. So. I am doing Marie Antoinette. Yay! <laughs> I love her. Do, do you know what? I don't know that much about her, to be honest. Okay, Not then. as much as like you might expect me to know. Because I've never... France never really been my area of expertise. Yeah. I, in, terms of, in terms of history in general. Obviously, I know like the basics and I know the A-level style yeah. <laughs> stuff. But apart from that... I, I don't know much about her in particular. So. So I kind of, I quite love the the revolution, so it's kind of all interesting. But I mean, like, I know the military stuff of the revolution. I just not don't really know about her. Like all the kind of like political stuff that like caused the revolution is quite annoyingly complex. Like weird, like different groups that had to kind yeah, of yeah, like that is very try true. Pass laws. So I've tried to like, yeah, <laughs> I tried to cover that anyway. See, okay. We'll see how well I've done. Um, okay, so let's start. So she was born Maria Antonia on the 2nd of November 1755 at the Habsburg Palace in Vienna, which is a lovely palace. Very nice palace. Yes, it uh, is. Australia. So she was the youngest daughter of Empress Maria Theresa, who was then ruler of the Habsburg Empire, kind of by accident because they didn't really have like female rulers. Like yeah, the, uh, she was very interesting though. I know about young. her. Because <laughs> the Habsburgs were a terribly chauvinistic house, but anyway, yes. um, and the uh, and her father was the Holy Roman Emperor Francis the First, so a pretty powerful dynasty. Um, now, as we know, if you're an aristocrat, if you were rich during this period, then taking care of your own kids wasn't really in vogue. It just wasn't really the done thing. <laughs> Uh, actually, really, nothing's really changed. I mean, like, that's probably how most rich people are now. Anyway, so shortly after her birth, she was placed under the care of the governess of the Imperial Children, that was her title, uh, Countess Brandeis. Uh, so this led to her having kind of a difficult relationship with her mother. <laughs> uh, despite the private tutoring she received, the results of her schooling were described as less than satisfactory. Oh dear. Yeah, not so good. So at the age of 10, she could not write correctly in German, nor could she speak the court languages of French or Italian. I mean, like, languages are hard, so, like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, like, uh, judge her for that. Yeah, I'm not going to judge her for not being able to speak three languages (laughs) by the age of 10. (laughs) Uh, She also reportedly had very little to say for herself, and conversations with her her were described as stilted. Um... Despite not being perhaps the most intellectually gifted child, she was a talented musician. She learned to play the harp and the harpsichord and the flute. I love the harpsichord. That's a it's cool one of instrument. those weird instruments, yeah. Like a weird like piano mixed with harp, harp mixed with, with organ. I mean, like it's a cool yeah. instrument. So fair play. I mean, like why bother with like the intellectual stuff if you can just play? Music. Harpsichord. Yeah, just, be, just be a musician, why not? It's not like a big market for harpsichord players, though. No. Then there was, though. People loved the harpsichord back then. <laughs> Massive market <Just> like... back then. <laughs> um, 
She said to have had a beautiful voice and frequently sang at the hue at the at the family's evening gatherings. Say so one of those families, you know, where they had like uh, sat around the piano and had little sing songs together. Yeah, but that's also my family. So okay, then <laughs> it's also like the family in what's the film called? You've got mail. They're very rich. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we're not rich. We're just weird. <laughs> Anyway, so she was also a talented dancer, a demon on the dance floor, rocking that waltz, and she had a rather childish love for dolls. So that is her in a nutshell. So, like most princesses, Marie ended up as a pawn in the political games of Europe's great dynasties. Of course. Does that mean like the hamster? All of them, across yeah. the board, without fail. Uh, so following the Seven Years' War... Empress Maria Theresa decided it would be prudent to make friends with Austria's old enemy, France. Attention had rather turned to the new threat, the upstart German kingdom to the north, Prussia. Goddamn Prussia. And then there's Britain as well, conquering the world, interfering in European politics from afar. People didn't like Britain. People don't like Britain now. People didn't like Britain then. It's just the way it was. <laughs> um, so in these uh, two, France, found, France and Austria found a common enemy. And so the two countries decided to seal their alliance with a marriage. And so Louis XV formally requested the hand of Mary Antonia for his eldest surviving grandson and heir, uh, because his son had died. So now he had to just like pass the throat, like crown onto his grandson, which is kind of typical at the time, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Louis Auguste de Berry, uh, the Dauphin, is it? Dauphin. Dauphin. I it's think. A cool name. Cool word for. Uh, like prince anyway prince yeah <laughs> uh, so in what can only be described as peak romance i'm talking about i'm talking like hollywood eat your heart out the two were married by proxy on the 19th of <laughs> april 1756 so her brother archduke ferdinand stood, stood in for her so didn't even see her she wasn't even there she wasn't even there no. she, how old was she at the time she's 14 Oh dear. <laughs> she still hadn't even met the future Louis the Sixteenth. Lovely stuff. I think he was sixteen at the time. So they met for the first time after they were married on the fourteenth of May at the edge of the forest in Compiègne. And of course, because the seventeen hundreds were trash, they were obliged to almost immediately consummate their marriage in what was called the ritual bedding. So yeah, fourteen. Yeah, people like watch, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Really. So grim. Yeah, horrible 1700s. Uh, now, this didn't really go too well, and it wouldn't for the next seven years. It got so bad that in 1777, uh, Marie's brother was brought in to figure out what was going on. So, I mean, like, she just had her, like, brother asking around, like, what was going on between them sheets. Lovely. <laughs> between them <That's> sheets. <laughs> <having a> <laughs> so, after a frank conversation with the two, Joseph concluded that there was no obstacle to the couple's conjugal relations other than the Queen's lack of interest and the King's unwillingness to exert himself. And exerting himself, Louis was not. So, let's read a little description of what it was like to get some loving from Louis. Oh, God, so, we have to. <laughs> Louis the Sixteenth introduces the member but then stays there without moving for about two minutes, withdraws without having completed the act, and bids goodnight. Lovely stuff. That is just... <laughs> it's just so horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Have you watched like, that episode of The Inbetweeners 
where I haven't uh, watched any episode of this. Haven't you? Oh, so there's, no. there's an episode where like um, so there's an episode where like Will is trying to have sex for the first time, but it's basically this. This is it's just this scene. <laughs> um, uh, well, I assume he doesn't dress up as Louis. Sixteenth, <laughs> no. yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, that's not to say that she wasn't getting any, though. Like, Of course overall. not. Now, I mean, like, historiography is rather divided on how many lovers she actually had. But she certainly had a few. She was beautiful, personable. And she was even well-liked by the common people at first. Not at for, fir- not for long, though. Yeah. Uh, as early as 1774, Mary Antoinette had begun befriending some of her male admirers. She most certainly took the Swedish diplomat, Count Axel von Fersen, as a lover at some point. And why not? Everyone loves a Swede. I mean, like, you have so much sex education. Like, everyone loves that Swede. <laughs> everyone loves Even I Swede. love that Swede. <laughs> um, Including the vegetable. <laughs> eventually, the couple did have some children. Uh, so there was, Were they his, though? That's the thing. Cool. But as you say, there was always questions regarding their paternity. So, in fact, many believe believed back then and still do that the future king louis the 17th wasn't the king's son at all but rather the son of that dashing swede just gotta check the eyes gotta check the eyes that's what gotta do um but it wasn't only her lovers that annoyed the people but her spending too see france was in a large amount of debt the seven years war and all the other wars that they'd fought before then had largely (laughs) all the wars beat us (laughs) oh yeah exactly they're all against us um, had largely bankrupted the country. See, France was still run in this old-fashioned, kind of feudal way, so wars are just very costly. And so while the people suffered, Marie spent. Uh, so the Queen spent heavily on fashion, luxuries, and gambling. She had Rose Bertin, uh, who was like a much sought-after designer at the time. Uh, create dresses for her, hairstyles such as poofs, up to three feet tall. Hair up to three feet tall. Like half a person on her head. That is a ridiculous. That is mad. That's that's l- more than half of me, because I'm like yeah. only five foot three, so. It's just silly, yeah, I'm 5'11", so yeah, st- like a little bit more than me. <laughs> just mad. Um... She and her court also adopted the English fashion of dresses made of Indienne, so a material that had been banned in France from 1686 um, to protect the local French woolen and silk industries. So she was like seen to be like actively working against French industry. Yeah, not a good vibe. Yeah, not a good look. Um, <laughs> so by the time of the flour war riots of 1775, over the high prices of flour and bread. Her reputation. Oh, sorry, sorry. I thought you meant like the high prices of like a bouquet, of <laughs> and I was like, I don't remember sure, that at all. I'm sure they were expensive at the time yeah. as well, but probably didn't worry people as much. Uh, her reputation among the general public had been severely damaged by the news of her spending. Uh, some of it was exaggerated by her rivals, and also her saying that maybe people should eat cake, but she never really did say that. So. No, she didn't. But I mean, like, it does sound like the kind of thing she'd say. <laughs> um, so many French people were beginning to blame her for the degrading economic situation, suggesting the country's inability to pay off its debts were the result of her wasting the crown's money. So this wasn't strictly true. 
I mean, as we said, what really fucked Francis Coffers was the decision to, to to go to all these wars. So, like, the last war was fought over Francis' decision to aid the fledgling United States in its war of independence against the British. Yes. So Louis had hoped that a victory for the United States would mean France getting back the colonies she lost to Britain in the Seven Years' War. But it didn't really work out that way. So the British knew when they were beaten and decided against bankrupting itself in an unwinnable war in America and instead decided to concentrate on defending its more valuable possession, um, possessions like the Sugar Islands and the West Indies and its possessions in India, which are precisely what France hoped to take. So although the French fleet was instrumental in the defeat of Cornwallis, France got very little for its efforts other than another massive debt. And although Marie supported the war, you can't really put the blame on her for like this massive economic blunder. I suppose it didn't help that following the war with the country's in catastrophic debt, the king bought his wife her own hamlet. So like a life-size military village that she could just build as she liked so i mean like she liked dolls right so this was like playing with dolls if life was if dolls were real life so like uh, legoland yeah but like <laughs> real <laughs> so she could just like decorate herself that's so ridiculous so yeah this pissed a lot of people off which is fair i guess it's like the duck pond situation in this country with mp's expenses and they're like oh yeah sorry i i need to put this on expenses because yeah. I need tulips or some <laughs> rubbish. Some people outside the UK might not know what we're talking about, but it's it you should look it up. Yeah, look UK it up. MP expenses, yeah. Google. Duck pond. And, <laughs> and then cry over the situa- uh, situation that we face in this country. <laughs> and so to try and quell the growing disquiet over France's dismal accounts, the king tried to implement a number of economic reforms. Now, something we need to know about Lou was he wasn't actually a massive bastard. He did genuinely care what the people thought of him and seems to have tried to do the best for the people. Uh, the only problem was he was kind of weak. He couldn't really yeah. force mm. anything through. So when he tried to enact radical reforms, which would have benefited the people, uh, they were all basically just like blocked by the nobles and the church and there wasn't really much he could do. So unfortunately, by this time amongst the public, many held the belief that she had kind of single-handedly ruined the national finances through her just frivolous spending, um, which was a bit ridiculous. I mean, like, there were all the expensive wars um, and the unwillingness on the part of basically all members of the privileged classes, the aristocracy and the clergy, to uh, help pay the costs of the uh, of the government debt out of their own pockets by just relinquishing any of their financial privileges. <laughs> um, so it was so bad that she was basically given them the nickname Madam Deficit in the summer of uh, 1787. Mm. There will be a lot of these shit nicknames. Like, yeah, so, so many. Just like, it's not a very good nickname. Just sticking Deficit after Madam. Be more inventive, In a French people. accent, it sounds better, like Madame Deficit. That is true, actually. That it is sounds true. so much better. <laughs> da, 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 da. So, while the soul fault for the financial crisis definitely didn't lie with, uh, with Marie, um, she has been called probably one of the biggest obstacles to any major reform effort. So she played like a decisive role in like the uh, the disgrace of multiple reformer ministers. 
so basically, like continually, the king was unable to force three reforms. So finally, he decided what he needed to do was turn to the States General. Uh, so this was like a le- legislative and consultative assembly uh, of different classes or the estates of French subjects. So we're talking about the the church, the nobles, and the commoners. So the Estates General met hoping to come up with a resolution for the ongoing bread crisis. However, instead of focusing on those financial issues and meeting instead concentrated or more on representation. So the commoners, the third estate, believed that the two for the first two estates, which was the clergy and the nobles, would always vote together, pushing them out of power. So the king granted the third estate greater representation to placate them. So that didn't really work. Instead, on the 17th of June, 1789, the Assembly voted for a measure far more radical than fiscal reform to carry themselves at the National Assembly. So, an Assembly, not for the estates, but for the people. So they invited other, the other kind of like uh, estates to join them, but emphasised that they intended to conduct the nation's affairs with or without them. So basically, deferring to the people would be the king's downfall. They've gone from this kind of powerless, consultative council to being basically the government. (laughs) So when the third estate declared, we swear never to separate ourselves from the National Assembly and to reassemble whenever circumstances require until the constitution of the realm is drawn up and fixed upon solid foundations. See, the reason this worked was a, a, a... the more kind of liberal nobles and clergy just joined the third estate. Yeah, and helped, yeah, yeah. like helped it like yeah, become like mm-hmm. former a full government. So Marie was in no mood to countenance a reordering of the political power structure. So she urged the king to remain firm, persuading him not to concede to popular demands for reforms. If the revolutionaries would take no for an answer, then she would crush them. So <laughs> crush the... them good. <laughs> so on the eleventh of July. Under Mary Antoinette's direction, Necker was dismissed. Another finance minister gone. So he was replaced by Bretriol, another one of the Queen's allies. But his mission was not one of fiscal reform. Things had very much moved on. He was instead given the job of crushing the revolution using foreign mercenary Swiss troops to be commanded by one of her favourites, Pierre Victor. So the Queen at this time very much had the reins while the while the King prevaricated. But news of Mary's plan soon got out and riots broke out throughout the city. The violence quickly became uncontrollable, culminating in the storming of the Bastille on the 14th of July, 1789. So following the fall of the Bastille, the King ordered members of the high aristocracy to get out while they still could. However, Marie Antoinette, despite the obvious danger, remained with the king, whose power was gradually being taken away by the National Assembly. She pleaded with him to flee to his more hardline brothers, who had armies willing to fight for the crown, but the king ultimately just wanted to be loved, so he refused. He was like, they'll still love me. They won't hurt me. (laughs) Mm, Naive, my friend. It's going to go really well. So on the 4th of August, 1789, the National Assembly voted for the abolition of feudal privileges and the declaration of the rights of man. So the end of the royal system was near. However, things hadn't reached peak bloodthirsty yet, or even (laughs) peak 
revolution. So at this point, proceedings were still very much led by the moderates who favoured a constitutional monarchy akin to that in Britain rather than a republic. And Maria made a scramble for allies as best she could. However, at this time, the food situation in Paris had become critical that bread shortage ongoing still hadn't been sorted out. And the people continued to blame the royal family. No, unfortunately, the people couldn't just eat cake. Uh, I think the idea behind that is like um, the 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 quote is obviously a misquote. Yeah. Didn't, it was never said or it was misquoted, but I think someone said to her, you know, but but Madame, they don't have any bread, and she said, "Well, let them eat cake," not understanding that what they meant is there's no food. Like bread was yeah. just like a. It, you know, bread is a staple, and that's what they chose. Yeah. But it it's not a real quote. No, I know. Yeah, it's just it's it's to show how like how she just didn't understand. Yeah, yeah, it was used to show like I guess yeah, it was spread as a rumor to show that she was um she was uncaring, which she was. I mean, she was totally uncaring. <laughs> that's the thing. Like, it's not like far away from the sort of thing she would say. Yeah. So on the 5th of October, a crowd from Paris marched on the Versailles Palace, evicting the royal family from what had been the seat of the king for almost 100 years and escorted the royal family to the Tilleres Palace. Here they were forced to live under house arrest, guarded by the newly formed Garde Nationale, National Guard, a force lord to the (laughs) state and the National (laughs) Assembly, not the king, commanded by hero of the Revolutionary War in America, Gilbert de... Motier, Marquise de Lafayette. Yay, Lafayette! If you've heard Hamilton, um, then you know how, why I'm excited about Lafayette. <laughs> now, despite the surveillance, Lafayette wasn't a douche to the royal couple. He was, after all, an aristocrat, albeit a liberal one. So he didn't really want to see the fall of the monarchy, but rather the establishment of a, of a more constitutional one. Yeah. So similar to ours. A system based on cooperation between the king and the people, as was to be defined in the Constitution of 1791. Still, Marie hated him. She hated Lafayette. (laughs) And the contempt was mutual. Yet still, for some reason, rumours abounded that the two were sleeping together, which just kind of like shows the extent of unfair slut shaming that she kind of like suffered at this time. Yeah. She was basically just like accused of like sleeping with anyone. I mean, like She's they like, were. I hate this guy. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, do you or are you sleeping with him? You're just having angry sex. That's what you're doing. So despite the house arrest, Marie Antoinette continued to show up in public to perform charitable functions and attend religious ceremonies. She also tried to influence the political situation as best she could from behind the scenes. She came to understand that maybe the monarchy was unlikely to regain the power it once had. So she said about forming alliances with other constitutional monarchs. Uh, The most prominent one in the assembly at this time being Comte de Mirabeau. Now Mirabeau was the president of the National Assembly at this time. So that basically made him the most important lawmaker at the time. Although he kind of joined the third estate, he wasn't against the monarchy, but rather wanted to reconcile it with the revolution. So he was one of the first estates members who joined okay. the National Assembly. So Mirabu met with the Queen on the 3rd of July 1790 and was reportedly very impressed with the Queen. An agreement was reached whereby Mary Antoinette promised to pay him 600 livres per month 
and a 1 million bonus be succeeded in his mission to restore the king's authority. So corrupt, basically. Yeah. Not doing the moderate cause <laughs> any good. Unfortunately for the royals, Mirabu was not a well man and he died of pericarditis before oh, no, he could make good on his promise. It's like basically a kind of mini heart attack, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, pick your allies better. Pick healthy people. <laughs> Excuse um, me, do you have any heart defects? <laughs> so, while the Queen continued to exert her influence in the Assembly, she also came up with a few contingency plans in case these went awry. Namely, escape plans. So, while several escape plans have been drawn up for the royal family, the King's indecisiveness meant they could never capitalise on them. I mean, like, make up your mind, mate. What are you going to do? That was until finally on the 21st of June, 1791, he decided it was time to book the fuck out of there. So the plan was to <laughs> reach the royalist stronghold of Montmerdy in order to initiate a counter-revolution at the head of royalist troops. So in this elaborate plan, the governess of the royal children was to play a fictional wealthy Russian baroness, while the queen and the king's sister would play the roles of the governess and nurse to the baron. Well, the king was to play uh, valet, and the royal children to uh, pretend to be the baroness's daughters. I mean, like it's all very blackadder. The whole situation. <laughs> yeah, sounds. After many delays, they attempted the plan on the twenty-first of June, seventeen ninety-one. But the entire family were arrested less than twenty-four hours later. In <laughs> it was it was a terrible plan. It went very wrong. So they were just basically quickly dragged back to Paris. On the way to the capital, they were jeered and insulted by the people like never before. Proving that any remaining support for the ki- the king enjoyed amongst the people had been destroyed. Uh, though seemingly, the family still had the support of the moderates in parliament. During the trip, the moderates' new leader, Antoine Barnave, protected Marie Antoinette from the crowds. Not the king, he could just get a kicking, but the queen got protected. So the moderates also protected the family from trial, and they were publicly exonerated of any crime relating to the escape, escape attempt. Soon after, not only this, the moderates also protected the family from the people. So on the 17th of July, 1791, with the support of Barnave and the moderates, Lafayette's National Guard opened fire on a crowd that assembled on the Champ de Mars with a petition demanding the deposition of the king. Again, the moderates stepped in to save the royal family. But this kind of dark bloodletting could no longer stand in the new France, and Lafayette was forced to give up his position as commander. Much to Marie's glee. But glee was misplaced. I mean, the royal couple were running out of people who were, who were willing to protect them. So following this came the last roll of the dice for the moderates. As a correspondent show, Barnave was taking great political risks in the belief that the Queen was his political ally. He had somehow, despite the Queen's unpopularity, managed to secure a moderate majority in the assembly, ready to work with her. However, she was not considered sincere in her cooperation with the moderate leaders of the French Revolution, so it kind of like all very quickly fell apart. Not only this, but the view that the unpopular queen was controlling the king further reduced the royal couple standing in the eyes of the people. An Austrian was controlling the French king, and people were not down with that. Not down with that. So while the Jacobins attempted to exploit the, uh, the royal couple's escape attempts, the moderates can try, continue to try and enact reforms that might placate the assembly and the people. 
But the king, under the direction of the queen, continued to veto further attempts to restrict his power. And so she got a new nickname. Madame Vito. I mean, like, these nicknames are rubbish. Yeah, but again, in French accent, Madame Vito. True. (laughs) (laughs) So following this, the moderates fell from power. Most of them would later be, of course, executed. During their reign of terror, the Jacobins took power. So now the Queen was held under constant surveillance by the National Guard. Uh, Four guards accompanied the Queen wherever she went, and her bedroom door had to be kept open at night. Still, Marie refused to cooperate with the new radicals. Not the band, like the radicals, (laughs) apparently. And they, in turn, accused her of colluding with Austria. Yeah. You see... What Marie really wanted was not compromise, but restoration, and she had a pretty powerful family could help. So while her brother Joseph had been cool and interfering in French affairs, his his successor, Leopold, which was her other brother, uh, was absolutely down with crushing the revolution. So like many rulers, he believed the spread of Enlightenment ideals was a contagion that threatened his own power, and he would not have that. So on the 7th of August, 1791, at... Pilnitz Castle near Dresden, Frederick William II of Prussia and the Habsburg <laughs> Holy Roman Emperor Leopold II signed the Declaration of Pilnitz, which declared the joint support of the Holy Roman Empire and Prussia for King Louis XVI of France against the Frederick French Revolution. Old enemies come together to protect the rich and powerful. So in response, war was declared between France and Austria on the 20th of April, 1792, and the Austrian Marie instantly became the enemy. On the 20th of June, 1792, a mob broke into the palace and made the king wear the red bonnet, uh, <laughs> which was the symbol of the revolution, to show his loyalty to the Republic. They also insulted Mary Antoinette, accusing her of betraying France and threatening her life. In response, the queen asked that her Swedish lover, Fersen, deliver a letter to the anti-revolutionary alliance. In it, she asked them to promise to destroy Paris if anything happened to the royal family, which they promised to do in the Brunswick Manifesto, issued on the 25th of July, 1792. So this is the final straw. She had basically, like, begged her family to massacre the French people. Yeah, that's that's not going to go down well. Yeah, so this was the final straw. On the 10th of August, an armed mob advanced on the Tuileries Palace. They massacred the Swiss guard who were protecting the royal family and dragged them to the tower of the Temple of the Marais, where they were to stay in conditions considerably harsher than those they had enjoyed in the palace. The Queen had colluded with foreign powers against the French people, and there was no coming back from that. That is treason at this point. Oh yes, and that is our subject. (laughs) There we see how she fits in. A week later, several of the royal family's attendants, among them Princess de Lambelle, were taken for interrogation by the Paris Commune. So Lambelle was kind of like Marie's bae. And she was the (laughs) first to get it. She was savagely killed on the 3rd of September, her hair stuck on a pike and paraded through the city to the temple for the Queen to see. Maybe this should have just been like heads on a pike month. It should, yeah. (laughs) Everyone loves a head on a pike. On the 21st of September, 1792, the National Convention officially declared the end of the monarchy and the National Convention became the governing body of the French Republic. The royal family name was downgraded to the non-royal capets. So that was basically the what the Republic considered to be the founding dynasty of the French uh, royal house. So we're like, yeah, that's your first surname now. 
You're just the capets. Or the capets, I suppose. Um, and preparation began for the trial of the king in a court of law. Uh, he was charged with high treason against the First French Republic. Separated from his family, Louis XVI was tried in December. He was found guilty on the 15th of January 1793 by a majority of six votes, so not many. And was condemned to death by guillotine. Everyone has a guillotine. It is a pretty cool machine, to be fair. He was executed on the 21st of January 1793. After Louis' execution, Marie Antoinette's fate became a central question for the National Convention. While some wanted her dead, others proposed exchanging her for French prisoners of war or for a ransom for the Holy Roman Emperor. Thomas Paine, meanwhile, advocated exile to America. But by April 1793, the reign of terror began and there ain't no way a queen's going to survive that. No way. But before death, to rub salt into the wounds on the 3rd of July, after a struggle during which his mother fought in vain to retain her son, Louis Charles was dragged from his mother. He was placed in the care of Antoine Simon, a, co- a cobbler and representative of the Paris Commune. Until her removal from the temple, Marie Antoinette spent hours trying to catch a glimpse of her son. However, within weeks, little Louis had been made to turn against his mother, accusing her of wrongdoing. It's pretty harsh. That is Getting harsh. Getting son to like, turn against her. That's what cobblers do, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, their job job description. Uh, Mary Antoinette was tried by a revolutionary tribunal on the 14th of October, 1793. It's likely the verdict has been decided before the case even begun. She and her lawyers were given less than one day to prefer, prepare her defence. The charges against her included orchestrating orgies in Versailles. <laughs> I mean, like, just, I don't know why they popped that on there, but never mind. Sending millions of livres of treasury money to Austria. That's very treasonous. Planning the massacre of National Guards in 1792. Declaring her son to be the new king of France. And incest. A charge made under duress by her son, Louis Charles. That's really harsh. Just getting her son to like... Just tacking it on the ambulance style. so bad. So she never Uh, actually was tried for treason it was just like treasonous things i mean like that was kind of like the as we'll see like the uh yeah the judgment due to like what she does so early on the 16th of october mary antoinette was declared guilty of the three main charges against her depletion of the national treasury conspiracy against the internal and external security of the state and high treason Uh, because of her intelligence activities and the interest of the enemy so the last Charge of treason alone was enough to condemn her, condemn her to death. So she, like her husband, was dragged to the guillotine. So when preparing for her execution, she was forced to change clothes in front of her guards. She had wanted to wear a black dress, but was forced to wear plain white. Um, white being the colour worn by widowed queens of France. I mean, like, hey, I thought she was no longer a queen. So why are you forcing yeah. her to... Seems a bit contradictory to me. (laughs) So her hair was shorn, her hands bound painfully behind her back, and she was put on a rope leash. I mean, that's pretty degrading. Unlike her husband, who had been taken to his uh, execution in the carriage, she was made to sit on an open cart for the hour it took to get to the guillotine at Rue Saint-Honneur. 
She maintained her composure even as the crowds jeered and hurled insults and rotten fruits. A constitutional priest was assigned to her for a final confession. He sat by her in the cart, but she ignored him all the way to the scaffold as he pledged his allegiance to the Republic. So he wasn't really, like, taking no. um, confession. He was just, like, giving, like, a political sermon. Uh, Mary Antoinette was guillotined at 12.15pm on the 16th of October, 1793. Her last words were recorded as, Pardon me, sir, I did not do it on purpose, after accidentally stepping on her executioner's shoe. (laughs) Madame Tussauds was employed to make her death mask, but her body was thrown into an unmarked grave in the Madeleine Cemetery, an unceremonial end to such a glam queen. However, both Marie and Antoinette and Louis XVI's bodies were exhumed during the Bourbon Restoration, and now both royal remains uh, lay in the necropolis of French kings at the Basilica of Saint-Denis. Well, that's and... nice. Yeah, I mean, like, she got, like, a nice grave in the end. In the end. In the end. Oh. And that's Marie Antoinette. Um, I have never seen the film, have you? No, I haven't. I, I feel like I, I should now. Watch I like Kirsten Kira Knightley. Dunst. I just wonder why they didn't pick a French actress. I thought it was Kirsten Dunst who was... Oh, Kirsten Dunst. Sorry, not Kira Knightley. But still, um, could have picked a French actress. I know, actress. yeah. There's plenty of good ones. I would have thought, um, what's her name, would have been a good one. Oh, Marianne Cotillard. Yeah, her. <laughs> Marianne Cotillard. Maybe they'll re- do a campaign for remake of Marianne Tanette with Marianne Cotillard. She, uh, Hashtag. Should in, she should be in everything. <laughs> Though I really hated the film in that, I have to say. Did you? Yeah, I hated it. That, yeah. Mm. Okay, then. That's Not... a strong emotion. Yeah. Have you got a recommendation of any kind? Uh, we're watching, it's not a historical one, but we're watching Startup at the moment on Netflix. That is really good. Okay. It was not like, it was kind of like panned a bit by um, critics, but it seems the audiences like it more. It's got Seth in it from. Uh, the OC. Oh, Adam Brody. Adam Brody, <laughs> who I love. Yeah, I love him too. Um, I, I'm i sure everyone out there who's listened to this podcast is, is a podcast fan already, but if you haven't started, please listen to Sweet Bobby. It's very popular at the moment. It's about a woman who get a UK woman who gets catfished, and it is a mad ah, story. Sweet okay, Bobby. Okay, then. A wild ride. Yeah, a wild, wild okay, ride. We're only on, that. like, episode four, so you can catch up pretty easily. Right, now I need to finish the podcast on this at the moment. I'm listening to Apply Digger at the moment, which is just essentially, like, a 30-hour-long lecture on Apply <laughs> Digger's being in time, which is a uh, slog. Enjoyable. Slog. <laughs> and we'll be back next week for more things you may or may not have heard of. But Though in we'll the meantime, ha- We'll have a new theme next week, though, won't we? Yes, we will. Um, still to be decided. <laughs> <laughs> but while we're here, you can subscribe, share, and also give us a rating. Five stars would be amazing. And maybe even a little review. If you do give us a review, we'll give you a shout out. And 5,000 listens now haven't we yes 5,000 downloads thank you so, so thank you very much much and follow us on social media where I will start updating things <laughs> in the very near future at we're not good at social media <laughs> we'll see you next time bye see you next time bye bye